you're not a victim. You're doing it. And when you're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. Hello and welcome to the Humble You Podcast, where we talk all things mind, body, and life. And this podcast features a conversation with therapist and life coach Vin Infante. He is here to talk about his journey of becoming a psychotherapist and a life coach. He writes, I help people live their purpose through finding their greater why. And Vincent, I'm excited to get into this conversation about you and finding this greater why. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and tell you a little bit about my story. Um, I guess ever since I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a psychotherapist. And that's really one of the funnier parts because most people have never met a five-year-old that says they want to be a therapist, <laughs> let alone <laughs> one that tries to pronounce the word psychotherapist because no five-year-old could say that. <laughs> so as you can imagine, I, I was never able to really put it together. Mm. But ever since I was a kid, I said, I want to be a therapist and a firefighter. They're, these were the two things that always had kind of my interest. And I have my dad to really thank for the therapy part. My father is a psychotherapist and he's established. He has his own private practice. So I was always looking up to him and wanting to be like him. And the firefighter thing, well, that was just me as a kid because I thought it was cool. I was like, you know, who doesn't want to be a firefighter? <laughs> and so I kind of had this path already sought out for me as I was younger. And as I got older, I started to pursue both of them. And I tried to really make that dream become a reality. Mm. And it was a very long process. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I could imagine. Well, let's get into this. So so at a, at a young age, your, your father, you said, was a psychotherapist? Yes. Did he speak to you about this stuff or did you watch him? Like what got you interested in specifically, you know, therapy, especially at that age? Like, do you remember what it was that was drawing you to it or any thoughts that you had or was it in your dreams? Yeah. I mean, funny enough, I actually, there is nothing that he did that actually made me see therapy and think it was cool. He was just, he's just my dad. And I knew my dad was a therapist and I mean, Maybe that goes a little bit back to the whole, you know, psychology of we want to be like our dads and, you know, when girls want to be like their moms. But I was definitely embodying that. You know, my dad had a bunch of jobs. He worked three jobs. He wasn't he wasn't home a lot, um, you know, because he would he would get out of the house around 6 a.m. and he'd get home sometimes at 9 p.m. Mm. And, you know, I was just I was always inspired by my dad. And, and be, I guess because my dad wasn't home a ton. I really wanted to spend a lot of time with them. So I was even more drawn to, you know, just spending time with my dad. And like, I would really cherish our, our Sundays, which was his day off. And we'd play like video games and he would try to hang out with me and, you know, maybe we play some sports or whatever. So. Yeah. The childhood, it's amazing how, you know, I had dreams and visions of me kind of, you know, doing that weather work that I did. And it's so interesting that as a child, you know, you have these, these things in you that are kind of pushing you towards your future in a sense, if you're paying attention. And a lot of people speak of their childhood dreams as they come reality later on in life. Young spoke about it, you know, even, you know, someone like him at at that caliber spoke about his childhood and how it led to 
um, some revelations that were were going to where his life was going. And, and I think it's really interesting. I just uh, was reading a book of mine. I have a book when I was in, I think I was five or six years old. And it was like one of my first books. And it's like this thing where you fill out uh, different questions and, and you write like, you know, little pictures uh, to go along with it. So it was like my first book and I'm reading it just a, just a week or two ago. And I thought of you because what I said was I wanted to be a firefighter on on the on the part where and I never I never actualized that but um, I was thinking of you with that and and you know that's a that's a childhood dream that that a lot of people have is, is being a firefighter or a policeman you know someone in that in that municipality type um, what led you to, to firefighting because I don't think anyone at least your father wasn't a firefighter what led you to that if, if you could remember I, I think I just thought they were cool yeah. you know you see a fire truck I mean who we're in I mean for me I'm in New York you know, fire fire departments, one of the most sought after jobs here because of so many things that they do. They're very involved in communities. They donate, they throw like Christmas parties, you know, they show up to charitable events. They're, they're always around. You just always see the firefighters and more times than not, if you come, you know, go over to a fire truck with your kid and ask for a photo, all the firefighters are going to gather around, take photos with your kid and like put them on the truck and put a helmet on them. And so, you know, th there's just, there's a lot of appeal in New York to mm. be a firefighter or just even be involved and have a great presence with the firefighters. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, being in New York, were you in New York during 9-11 uh, and, and, and that whole, uh, that whole event? Yeah. I mean, I've lived in New York my whole life. Mm. So 29 going on 30 now. So I've been here about 30, 30 years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So and I remember the firefighters and policemen, you know, uh, during that time, we're getting a lot of praise and, and, and it was uh, man, that was quite a time. How close were you to, to those events? Do you remember that specifically in your memory? Oh yeah. I, I remember I, I was in fifth grade, so yeah. I was really young. I was in school. I remember just everybody was getting picked up from school. Like all the kids there, there was, you know, the whole, the whole city stopped that day and all the, all the parents that could grab their kids from school, the schools were basically shutting. I everyone just ended their day that day. And, yeah. uh, you know, I remember just sitting there. I didn't even know what was going on. And my mom picked me up, brought me back home. My brother was, just, I, I don't remember if my brother was already home and my mom picked him up first or what happened. <laughs> but me and my brother were just sitting there and we were just watching the news. And we were watching like all the people running and, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the smoke and the clouds and all that, all that stuff. And being so close, it had to be tough. I remember that day. It was it was it was interesting because they told us I was the same. I think I was a year younger than you. Um, and, and they told us we couldn't go out for recess because the pollen was so bad. I'm like, what? So we, we you know, I go, go home after the bus uh, drops us off. We usually played football and my mom's screaming, get in here, get in here. I'm like, what's going, what's out here? This, this pollen's really bad today, huh? And then, you know, you look on the TV and it's like, wow. And those memories, they, they stick with you. So through your journey, you know, you're a kid hoping to be a firefighter and psychotherapist or at least a therapist. Was there any detours in that route as you grew up? Did you have anything kind of pushing you towards anything else? Or was it a focused, clear effort towards uh, both of those? I think one of the biggest detours in my life was how when I was getting bullied and I had a lot of issues uh, as a younger kid and growing up and getting older, I was really, really in a space of hating people. So I think being a therapist that hates people would be a very difficult job. <laughs> and with that being said, I had wanted to really, really drop out of my master's program. I didn't even want to finish it. I mm. 
was at a point in my life where my mental health was probably so bad that I couldn't see myself even being a therapist because I was just in this space of complete and utter helplessness that mm. I was in so much pain. I couldn't go on. I couldn't see myself doing it. There was nothing I wanted to do with it. And I really kind of just wanted to quit. Uh, there were many times where like I was calling my therapist. I was, had had that poor guy on call. I, I was every therapist's worst nightmare. <laughs> please i need a session can you squeeze me in this week then we just had such i need another one like <laughs> <laughs> and this poor guy you know he was a saint through it all he was always trying to welcome me in and you know he would do phone sessions with me he's like listen where are you i'm like i'm at school but i need a session it was bad you know i was having panic attacks i was having anxiety i was having all sorts of depression and hate and anger. there was so much that was just coming up and stopping me from getting to where i wanted to be on, on, an, on an interesting note with that too, because I really, really, really wanted to become a firefighter more than I wanted to be a therapist. And again, the reason was because I was so angry at everyone and just hated people. So I was hoping that the fire department would call me. Mm -hmm. So I took the test the first time and I got a 93. You might think 93 is a decent grade. Yeah. It's actually terrible. <laughs> so I was number, <laughs> I, I was number 18,000 on the list with a score of 93. Mind you, there's about 80,000 applicants per year for the fire, uh, sorry, every four years for the fire department. You can only take the test once every four years. Whoa. They cap it, your age. You can, the last time you have an opportunity to take the test for the fire department is at 29 because you age out and you're only eligible to start taking the test at 18. So you really only get about two tries to become a firefighter in New York. And you have a 10 year time span virtually and two tries. So the first time I got a 93, my brother got 102. He became a firefighter when and lived my dream. Uh, I was angry and still being a social, you know, a social work school student. And I was so pissed. I mean, so now I already have all this anger and hatred and anxiety and sadness and all this. And now it's coupled with the idea that my brother basically stole my dream. Mm. And, and so I had to kind of also deal with that. You know, I was very jealous. And I didn't even really realize it, but I was very jealous of him. And so I didn't really know what to do at that point because I didn't want to stay in school. I would have dropped out 100%. My brother got called while I was in my second year of my master's program. I would have left if that had been me. And I would have never got my degree. Mm. So I was kind of forced to stay there. My dad came down a little hard on me because I told him I wanted to quit school because mm. I hated it. And he said, if you quit school, you better go get a full-time job in an apartment because I'm not supporting you. <laughs> so I was like, oh, man, maybe I better stay in school. <laughs> and, so, and so I pushed through like all of this. I had to find a lot of strength, and I just kept pushing through. And I was having a little trouble with completing lessons and courses and things like that, but I still made it. I graduated. And then at 23, I didn't, didn't go to work right away. I took on a journey of kind of finding myself mm. and I actually found a lot of love for me, mm. a lot of forgiveness. I realized I was living this alter ego that I created to avoid having to deal with my own pain and suffering. And I kind of had like this really weird hallmark moment, <laughs> like one of those cheesy movies. So the alter ego I created, I named him Vincenzo. My oh. name is Vincenzo. And Vincenzo, very slight shift, but meant the world to me. So what wound up happening was this older ego was my way of, of becoming cool when I wasn't, making friends when I had none, becoming appealing when I wasn't, you know, meet girls when I couldn't, it, create a whole new image 
Mm. Like my college degrees, Joe, my college degrees say Vincenzo on them. <laughs> it's not even my name. Wow. Yeah, I wrote it in. And so I was living this complete alter ego. And when I finally got out of school, I had this, this moment, like I said, referring back to that now, where it was like a Hallmark movie. Because it's always those cheesy, magical transformations, right? <laughs> it actually happened. It really did. I was like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> there was, I was just so fed up. And I was like, why am I still so angry? I have friends. I have a nice car. I got tattoos. I have a beer. I'm cool now. Why am I still so angry and upset and depressed? Like, what is wrong? And I was just standing in the bathroom and I was looking at the mirror. And I was like, you're Vincent. And it was so like, because mm. all of a sudden, I took back my name. Mm. And I changed the power of my life. That all of a sudden shattered the ego, the fake, the fake uh, alternate creation of who I was and made me open to who I am. Mm. And it allowed me to start embracing who I was again for the first time in about seven years because I created this ego at 18 and I didn't come into myself until I graduated with my master's at about 23. Mm. And from that point, the rebuilding of myself started occurring, the evolution, the change, all these, these things that I've been suppressing, the acceptance of pain was huge for me. Mm. So the, the, a lot, a lot of the ways and things that I speak about is harnessing your pain and turning it into power. Mm. Because when you embrace your pain, you actually embrace the ability of who you are and you could change and create the life you want. Because though you can't always, you know, control what happens to you, you can control how you respond to it, how you internalize it, who you become from it. You will let it shape you or you can shape your life from it. Mm. So it's a very important distinction. I was letting my pain shape me instead of shaping my life from it. Mm. But when I finally said my name and took back my power, I started shaping my life. My mental health exponentially flew up. I started feeling better. I got rid of my therapist. <laughs> and that was the greatest day. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I started looking for jobs. I started working in different environments and wanting to learn people. And, and my love for people was actually completely reignited. Mm. I, I remember one of my mentors when I was like 20, I was just telling him, I hate people. I don't care about them. He's like, you're going to be a therapist. You can't do that. I was like, I don't care <laughs> shit. It was, like such a, it was an interesting thing. But, you know, he was always trying to steer me in the right direction, but I was so closed. I wasn't receptive to it. Yeah. And come to this point now at 23, it's a huge 180. I love people. How can I get, how can I get better? How can I help more? How can I learn to serve more? And I started working in every situation I could, you know, I went into inpatient units, outpatient units, hospitals, clinics, homeless shelters, department of education. Uh, you know, did I say hospitals? I've been in hospitals. I've been, so I went and pretty much did everything. I tried to work with all types of people, learn people. You know, I worked with schizophrenics and I worked with psychopaths and I worked with everyday people, you know, depression, anxiety. And so I got this wider range of people that I've worked with because I just had this hunger to grow and learn more about others. And at 28, I settled into a private practice. And I had a big case, Lord, I was working with 40 people. Mm. And private practice was absolutely where I was meant to be. I loved it. I loved the one-to-one, -one, the interactions, helping these people. It was amazing. And then from a test I took a couple of years back because I took the fire department test twice. The second time I took it, I got 103. Uh -oh. And so that jumped my number up and the second time to 1,126. I'm so, thinking we're going to be in the hundreds. <laughs> it was what you think. But here's the thing. Each class, 
they go they go through about 500 people to get in a class. So I was actually in the second class. I got called for it. So now I had to make an extremely hard decision. Yeah. Do I stay as a psychotherapist or do I go and pursue my childhood dream of becoming a firefighter? This was one of the harder moments of my life because I truly felt in line with being a therapist yeah. and I always wanted to do it. I also always wanted to be a firefighter. Now, nobody was ever going to be able to take away the therapy experience, but I was going to have to disconnect from 40 people, 40 people that I have grown to care about, you know, their, their mental health, their lifestyle, it's kind of in my hands and I'm helping them through all of this. And, you know, I never wanted to be that therapist that was just going to be like, I'm leaving, but it happens. I decided that I needed to live out my childhood dream, that this was so important to me. It was another way to serve people. I wanted to be there. I wanted to give myself in, in that way. And so I left. I started the fire department. And I also launched my life coaching business at the same time. Mm. Because I said, if I'm finally, if I'm really going to give myself this time, because the fire department, you get a great schedule. And I said, if I'm going to give myself this time, I have no more excuses. See, I wasn't starting my life coaching business even sooner because I was embracing excuses. I was scared. Yeah. As I kept saying I had no time. I had no time. My girlfriend called me on my shit. <laughs> she yeah. said, you're going to the fire department to get a better schedule and have more free time. You better start your life coaching business. Mm. You have zero excuses now. So Ooh. if you don't start your life coaching business, you're a liar. And I'm like, whoa, somebody's calling me out. That's hard, right? Yeah. <laughs> but we all need that sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> so I said, all right, let's do it. So I went and the training was intensive. It was five days a week. I was up at about 4 a.m., sometimes 3.40 every day. You know, you're expected to be at the academy at about 5.30. Mm. And the day ends typically, uh, you know how like in school, the teachers would say the bell doesn't dismiss you, I do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fire academy, the day isn't over when it's supposed to be. It's over when the drill instructors say it is. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so sometimes we'd get out of there at 6 o'clock at night, get home at 7. Ooh. We had tests every week, academic tests every week. Uh, so you were expected to study every night. We had physical training every single day. We had uh, three types of training. We had physical skills training, uh, functional skills training. We had PT and we had academics. So we had to score 75 or higher in each area. And, you know, you really have to, uh, overall, you have to score high or else you, you get failed out. You get kicked out of the academy. Mm. So I did this five days a week. And then Saturdays and Sundays, I would see my life coaching clients. And so I was just basically working seven days a week. Hmm. And one of them required 70 hour weeks. The other required 10 to 15. And so there was just packed weeks and I was trying to get through it. I got through it. They did something funny that you actually brought up 9-11. They did something with our class specifically that they haven't done since 9-11. They graduated us early because we were going through the academy last year right before Corona started. Mm. So COVID hit and all of a sudden we had about a month left in the Academy or three weeks and they go, you guys are done. Wartime graduation. Good luck on, good luck on your first day in the firehouse. <laughs> we were all like, okay. <laughs> They're like, that's all right. This is what you're trained for. This is what firefighters do. Shit hits the fan and you go. Mm. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> So, so we went out, 
you know, we came out, they, they called us the Corona class for good reason. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the city needed us. So they graduated us early. We went to our firehouses respectively and we started out there. Mm-hmm. And while I was out there, I got to do a few really uh, amazing things. You know, we got to save a few lives. I was a part of, a, you know, some, some really interesting CPR procedures and, you know, helping out with patients, uh, went to a few fires, put a few of those out. I mean, that's kind of the job. <laughs> and it was a really amazing experience. And I learned a lot going through the fire academy because the fire department in, in New York, at least, is a paramilitary organization. And the FDMY is a gold standard for fire departments around the world. Literally, fire departments from around the world send people here to learn our training to bring it to theirs because they are such a well-organized and powerful machine. Mm. So I learned a lot just from the fire academy. The experience there was almost like going through the military. However, you got to go home at the end of the day. And there were a lot of military guys in the fire department. So before anyone wants to jump down my throat, those military (laughs) guys that went through training with me said it was hard like basic training. Wow. It's not my words. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it, it was a very, very challenging procedure. You know, you're wearing your bunker gear. You have tools like 100 pounds. You're doing PT all day. You're doing you know, functional skills training, you're doing evolutions. There's just so much involved to become a firefighter that it literally changes you. It's an amazing experience, one that I will forever be grateful for. Mm. And so as my time in the fire department was increasing and things were going on and it was still, you know, this great experience, my life coaching business was also taking off. Mm. And there was this moment now, because as a probie, you have a different responsibility than the other guys. You know, as the new guy, you got to kind of earn your keep and earn your way. And I'm okay with that. And I know that that was one of the biggest expectations of me. What I didn't expect was how my life coaching business was going to take off Mm. while I was firefighting. And so what I tried to do was actually uh, try to, you know, take a leave of absence. I really wanted to pursue firefighting, but I wanted to establish my business. And it wound up coming up to the point that I couldn't get the leave of absence because of the fact that I was too new, which Mm. is fair. I understand that. Yeah. And so I had a very difficult choice to make now. It is, do I stunt the process or stunt the growth of my life coaching business or do I leave the fire department? Hmm. Now, nobody leaves the fire department. There's no reason anyone ever wants to go. It is the best job in the world. You know, you have a ridiculous pension. Hmm. You get health benefits, death benefits. You get sick time. You get vacation time. You have an amazing work schedule only a couple of days per week. You know, you have a brotherhood, you have a whole family that you get just from coming on the job. I mean, that's amazing in itself. And you get a great, great salary, you know, in, in, in a couple of years, you know, work really hard. You're guaranteed over six figures. Like who, who, who wants to turn that down? So leaving the fire department is not something anyone do, does ever. I, having known that, made the decision even harder. <laughs> so I couldn't get the leave and I decided my life coaching business is really my biggest dream. It's what I've always wanted to do. And so I had to make the extremely hard decision to resign. Mm. And it was such a weird thing that doesn't happen often at all that when I went to give the chief my paper, I said, chief, I need you to sign this. He's like, what's this? I was like, my resignation paper. And he's like, you serious? I was like, yeah. He's like, Listen, nobody does this. I have no idea what to do with this paper. <laughs> I got to call another guy. <laughs> so, 
And so we figured out the process. It took a few days because nobody knows how to, how to resign someone. And not because of incompetence. It's literally just because nobody resigned. And so I was like, okay. So we went through the process. And officially in October 2020 was my last day in the fire department. I had to turn in my badge and mm. you know say goodbye. And I have been doing life coaching full time since October. I've gotten a few more clients. Things have continued to go great. And now I'm just doing what I absolutely love. Wow. How about that? Man, there's a lot to unpack there. I have a couple notes, but I want to go back all the way before the fire department. This is when you started talking about this Vincenzo, was it, right? Yeah. I think it's really interesting that you were you you named him. That's something that I would do with a client if they have another side or personality to try to name it so they can see it and they can realize it when it comes up because it kind of possesses us in a sense. Um, and it's created, like you said, to to make yourself look good, um, to put on that mask, you know, so so you could be accepted by others. That's usually what the uh, alter egos are created for. Um, another reason an alter ego will be created real quickly on a side note is the unconscious kind of putting up uh, contents that that you start identifying with. Um, what what got you to name the alter ego? Was it was it something your therapist worked with you with, or was it something that just came naturally? Because that's really interesting. No, I I actually just created him subconsciously when I was eighteen. I was so fed up of getting bullied, having no friends, uh, having no girlfriend, sucking academic. Like I graduated high school with a 70. I was mm. horrible academic wise. And I was just so fed up with life. And I wound up internally hating myself. So I wound up hating Vincent because I hated Vincent because of all the pain I experienced from being him. Yeah. So I said, we're getting rid of this guy. I'm going to be Vincenzo. Vincenzo is such a cool name. It's <laughs> way more badass. <laughs> Girls are going to love Vincenzo. Guys are going to want to be his friend. Vincenzo is going to work out. He's going to dress better. He's going to act cooler. He's going to, he's just going to be the man. Mm -hmm. And so I gave myself this opportunity to live life anew. Uh, but I didn't realize that I wasn't actually living life new, right? Because if I was, I would have just evolved Vincent to be that person. I wouldn't have needed to create this guy named Vincenzo. I tried so hard to erase myself. And that's why I brought up the point of, writing Vincenzo on all my college transcripts because I didn't want anyone to know me as Vincent. Mm -hmm. There was, was going to be no trace. Mm. So I really, in this idea of creating a new person was trying to fully embrace it. I, I was even telling my mom, I was like, I want to go down to the, to the registry and change my name like legally to Vincenzo. I was like, hundred wow. percent. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because because you said you took your name back. I love that. And then what what else you did um, was you, you said something about going to the hospitals, going to the mental health institutions, really going everywhere and getting a sense of, of the human psyche. And I think that's so important because the psyche is so dynamic and, you know, we can all try to fit everyone in these boxes and we all try to um, try to formulate our own theories. But in, in truth, to really understand what the psyche is and how human nature is, you got to go everywhere and really experience wholeness in a sense. And and that's what you did. And I love to hear that about, you know, uh, about your journey towards where you are today is, is you were able to go to those dark places and you've been there yourself, too, is another thing that's really powerful. I think that that was like a lesson that you sort of um, 
were pushed into in a sense, because this is your path and this is your journey and this is your calling. And you saw like your father pushing you, keeping you in therapy, um, keeping you aimed towards that goal. Um, but going through that darkness and pushing yourself through it, you've now gained this strength and understanding. Um, now that when you're meeting with someone else that's in that position, you can kind of not relate where you understand exactly how they feel, but you could at least be more empathetic and understanding. And I think that really helps as somebody, um, you know, trying to trying to create that space for someone else to feel comfortable, to feel like they could speak to you, to feel like they're not um, they're they're not lost or they're not in, in a place of of, of disaster uh, in in their mind. Um, I think that's really important that you were able to go through that, and I think that's just part of the journey. And I'm sure you look at it as something that was a, a blessing in disguise, in a sense. For sure. I mean, I, I think that everything that I went through, there's a big point to it. You know, I, I don't think that if I had been this person who wasn't suffering, that I would want to help so many people. My biggest goal now, and I think as I made it clear to myself, is, you know, getting clarity on your goals is important. I always say, like, oh, I want to help someone. I want to help people. But that's not clear. You know, if, if you help one person, congrats, you reached your goal. So I said it, you know, and I said, I want to, I want to help a million people. Mm. And I think with that as a goal, you know, you think about why do people want to help people? A lot of the times because they have a ridiculously good heart, but for other reasons, it's because they felt pain themselves and they want to try and alleviate other people's pain. And they want to teach things that they know. The things that excite me most about working with clients is that I'm really just telling them things that I feel have A, helped me and B, things that I've learned you know, about psychology and my positions and helping other people. And there's a lot of experience that is, experiences that have shaped me, have shaped the way I work with people, you know, and as I continue to invest in myself and keep buying, you know, educational courses, like I joke, I tell my clients, I'm like, listen, your money doesn't even do much for me. I was like, you, you, you pay me and then I go pay someone else to keep teaching me so <laughs> I can keep teaching you. I was like, realistically, you're just paying me so I could invest in my in, in, in other courses. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I haven't bought new clothes and God knows how long I've been going on vacation. Oh my I was like, you might wonder where all the money goes that you give me, right? It just goes back to new courses. I spend mm. thousands a month on self-education. Yeah. And so I think that's the most important thing you can do. But that hunger that I have to self-educate so I could teach people more so I could help people alleviate more pain, you know, and it's really because I've been in those places and I don't want people to experience that. It sucks. Yeah. And I know the possibilities out there. I know what it's like for forgiveness. You know, one of the most painful things that I've had to go through was really feeling like I was trapped in, in, in life. You know, there, there was times in high school where I was very much suicidal. I wanted to, you know, end it for me because I couldn't see anything better. And there was one person that, you know, really did make it feel better. And that was my principal. He would sit there and we would talk and, you know, I confided in him a lot, but there was always, I think this way that we try to escape life, whether we realize it or not. So when I was in high school, before I created my alter ego, since we're back in this area, <laughs> I played a lot of video games. I got highly addicted to world of Warcraft because I hated my life. You know, I was at school and there was issues and getting bullied there and I would come home and my brother was doing his own thing. So my brother was uh, kind of like a really, really bad guy at the time. And he, you know, he was going through his own issues and, you know, that's his story to tell, not mine. And, and that issue in the home life was making my home life dissatisfactory as well. You know, my parents were kind of arguing a little bit about how to deal with him and my brother was doing all sorts of things to me and the family. And so I had to find an escape. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. It was either that or I was going to be gone. Yeah. So luckily, I got addicted to video games. I started playing World of Warcraft. I created a paladin. And the paladins are great for anyone who doesn't know what a paladin is. Paladin's a holy warrior. He defends the light. You know, he fights for the weak and he protects Ooh. them. Wow. And so a lot of the times as a kid, right? You know, I'm sure you've even seen one of those quotes, those cheesy quotes, like become the become the person you needed as a kid. Well, I actually did that at 18. I was playing World of Warcraft 18 hours a day on the weekends and every night after school as much as I could. That's why my grades suffered. That's why I got 70s. But it was so important to me because this virtual reality, and this is one of the most amazing things about video games, this virtual reality created a life for me, created an environment. I had friends, a guild, right? I joined a guild. I had 300 friends. Mm. You know, I had people I could just sit and talk with on the video game all night. And we would talk about the game and it felt great. And I was so happy. And it was the biggest distraction, but it didn't actually help me. You know, it was just another kind of ego that I was living in, right? I, I was living, my, my paladin's name is Spartacus. <laughs> and so I used to look forward to coming home and, and being Spartacus. And then, yeah. you know, when I'd be at school, I'd be drawing doodles of what Spartacus is going to look like and the new armor that I'm going to get. And once I join the raid next week and, you know, I, I was so obsessed over video games because it was the only thing that made me happy, but there's so many escapes in life if we look for it. And it's very hard to embrace ourselves when we find so much more comfort being somebody else you know, being, being Spartacus, being Vincenzo, you know, or whoever you're going to create. And so for me, I just have all these different, these different ways to not be me. Mm. And And then when you found you, you noticed the power with that, that that's, that's what you've been looking for this whole time. A hundred percent. And it came out in like a, a, like a chill throughout my body as I, Mm. as I said my name and realized like I just shattered something like shattered that ego. And it's funny too, that you say, you know, that people would call me Joey and Joe and Joseph. And nowadays when people ask me like, Oh, you know, what should I call you? I have people that call me Vince, Vinny, Vin, (laughs) Vincenzo, Enzo. (laughs) And (laughs) everyone calls me something different. Mm. And they're like, what do you prefer to be called? And I think for me, that's actually the hardest answer that mm. I can give right now. And it's not because of the fact that I don't, I mean, I actually don't have a preference, but it's because it doesn't mean anything. At mm. this point in my life, whatever you call me, I'm still me through and through. You yeah. can call me Vin, it's not an alter ego. You can call me Vince, it's not an alter ego. I'm many parts of myself, I'm many things. And more importantly, I am me. So. Mm whatever you feel comfortable calling me is what I'm okay with. (laughs) That's beautiful. And that's wholeness right there, folks. Another thing real quickly that I want to talk about is this ability to ground yourself. A lot of people get stuck, suspended in the air. They're inflated in their own ways. They get very spiritual and it's good to be in your head, but sometimes you get stuck there. And like you say, you make little alter egos, you get stuck in little realms, you find the comforts and you're living suspended and you never actually ground yourself to the earth. And I think what, you know, something like the military or something like the, the fire department when you go through that training you know that's grounding a lot of people to the earth that they've never been grounded to and it's so important to ground yourself to the earth before you start taking on the earth because then you're just suspended in the air and you're never truly um with your roots um and i was wondering through that process if if you did pick up that uh, ability to to if you notice that that ability of of grounding or that sense of more order in life or anything after you went through that training if there was any kind of result from that Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. So I love, first of all, I like what you said about being in your head. If you're in your head, you're dead. Yeah. And cool. That's really important to remember mm. because there is so many times and I look at it, I have a few themes throughout my life that I've really picked out. And 
One of them is that everything I've ever done, I've wanted to quit. Everything that was ever hard and challenged me, I've wanted to quit. But I've always pushed through. And I didn't really understand why. And I think it does speak to that training in the fire academy now. Because one of the things I realized in there was on the days, you know, you have long days, you're exhausted. You don't sleep well. You know, you, you come home, you're beat to crap, your body's done. You're tired, you study, you're overworked, overloaded. Then you go to sleep, you get a couple of unrestful hours, and then you're back at it again tomorrow. You know, maybe you're doing uh, PT in the snow or the rain or whatever. Mm. And there's so many times that I wanted to quit the fire academy. <laughs> I'm not going to say I made it through without a, without a hitch. I, I wanted to get out of there. Mm. I was having body pain. It was wearing on me. I, I came out with like a minor shoulder injury. Everybody was coming out with minor injuries. It's just so overworked. It is what it is. Yeah. Came out with like a minor shoulder injury. Over here is in pain. I had like an issue with my knee for a little bit. And mentally I was exhausted. There was so much. And the more I focused on that, the more I hated the academy. Yeah. The more I was like, oh, I just want to get out of here. Like maybe I should just quit like this, that. And, and the more I thought, the more I went into my head, the worse I made it for me. But when you stop focusing on that and you really push yourself to the limits, and I think this is the training that I received in the fire, fire department, it pushed me through my limits. Mm -hmm. Because when you get to your limit and then you have a guy screaming at you, you better do one more push-up. If you don't, everyone's going to suffer. Ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't let everyone suffer. Yeah, I need to break my limit. And then all of a sudden you go into your heart. There it is. You unlock that power. And you start acting out of your heart space and you go through pure emotion, through pure, un un unadulterated, like I'm serving right now. I'm doing this for others. Mm. And that's what a lot of that training does. It forces you to think about your brothers and sisters on each side of you on the lines, you know? And so it unlocks your ability to find your strength in suffering. Yeah. And I think that was the most powerful thing. And it started actually making me act more out of my heart started making me want to do more for people and get out of my head and start just pushing through everything I know. Yeah. And that training, that training was so amazing to take you out of your head and put you into an, an area where you could just act, act out of pure human emotion, which is love and passion. We're all beings of love. You know, uh, whether you believe in God or energy or the flying spaghetti monster, that's a real religion. It no, is. It is. <laughs> so whatever you believe in, Everything comes back to the fact that energy and love, I believe, is one. Mm. When, when you're acting out of love, you're acting out of your true intention, your true potential as a human. And whether your love is, I don't want the guy next to me to suffer, or I don't want to hurt someone, or I want to serve you in a way, however you could act out of love is what's going to pull you out of your head. Mm. And you could do this in a relationship. You could do it in your personal life. You could act out of love for you by stop talking shit to yourself. You could do it in your relationship by stop having to win that relationship, stop having to win the argument and just love that person in front of you. Mm. There's so many ways that I try to teach people what I've learned, which is getting out of my head and acting in my heart. And I think that's one of the biggest keys of life. Yes. Yes. And, and, and from the heart, that's where you start uh, really forgiving 
which is so powerful. And then gratitude, which is so powerful. And, and without the heart, it's tough to do it because then everything's stuck in the head. It's competition. Um, and, it, and it gets a little bit ugly when, when you're stuck up there. I know a lot of people, especially rich people, very interesting, that are stuck in the head. You know, they got really far with it. So it's tough to leave it. And I think that is a, uh, you know, it's an issue that, that, that people have to work through. And, and it is until you connect that heart where, where life really starts to open. Um, we're, this conversation, we're, we're already flying by. Uh, we're at the questions portion. And so we're going to we're going to slow things down. But real, real quickly, before we we get to this, this final little portion of, of the podcast, um, thank you so much for everything you've said. Uh, really a lot of insight. Um, <clears throat> the one thing for you that you found was your why you were in that meaningless space. Um, I know what that feels like. And it's it's dark. It's black. If somebody's asked you, what does it mean to find your greater why? How would you answer that question? Your greater why is more so unique it's what you want out of life it doesn't have to be i think people confuse why with you're meant to change a million lives like i don't think everyone's meant to change a million lives mm. i maybe i'm not even but that is my current why and we'll figure that out later but your why is what you want out of life i've known people who say i want to work a nine to five and have tons of time for my kid and my wife that's your why that's why you're going to do things and you create a lifestyle based around your why. Your why is really the compelling goal that makes you do what you do, act how you act, and embrace the life that you want to live. Mm. The why is very subjective to everyone, but it's more so just what do you want to get out of life? We have one. How are you going to make it the best for you? Mm. I love that. That's a great explanation. Um, and and it's, it's like an aim. And if you're not aiming towards something, then it's chaos. Uh, really cool. Beautiful. All righty. So we're at the questions portion. And um, the first question I like to ask is really about the, the, the mysteries in life. It's so mysterious out there. And even in, especially in psychotherapy, my goodness, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things that you wish you had the answer to. So if there was anything in relation to mind, body, or life, anything, uh, that you wish you had the answer to, what would that be uh, in relation to mind, body, or life? One question you have that you wish you had the answer to. Oof, that is really tough. Let's see. I think this question actually is one of my bigger motivators to grow and learn myself. Mm. I had this client who I was working with that it seemed like, it seemed like he was just in an eternal place of suffering. And all the interventions and all the strategies and all the stories and everything I've done, I wasn't able to help that guy. And I think this is also something that's really uh, powerful to mention. Not every coach and therapist out there is going to be able to help everyone. Mm. I can admit that I'm not able to help everyone. And from that, though, I wish I wish I could have figured it out. Mm. You know, we, we discontinued services and. You know, we said maybe somebody else would be more fitting for what he needs. And that's fine, you know, admitting what you don't know. But I think the greatest why here, the biggest question I would like to have answered is how do we truly end people's internal suffering? How do we break the cycles? Because I'll use an intervention on someone and it will work amazingly. I've had people turn around in two, three sessions, but I've had people that have been stuck for three, four months. Mm. And so... I think learning what is that universal, like how do I stop that internal pain cycle for everyone is my biggest question I want to figure out. Mm. 
if there was just one general principle we could apply to all, it would be so easy. <laughs> but hey, that that's what makes it really interesting is is that uh, you know everyone comes in with something a, a different initial condition. I think of it like the weather. You know, every forecast I used to make every condition was different. Every day was different. And you have to take in all the factors, everything. And it's really difficult. Sometimes you can't see through it. Um, and it's so tied up and interweaving into each other that maybe, you know, they, they, they can't even see through it because they made a mess out of it. Um, and it takes a, a lot of blackness and burning out to, to get to a point of emptiness so they can start to rebuild again. But, you know, it is, it, that's a mystery that, that, that one and, and many are trying to find out. I don't think we'll ever find a general principle. I think we're stuck with this uh, dynamical approach to psychotherapy. Um, another question, let's say you have a, you don't have a podcast, do you? No, I don't. Let's say you have the the um, the Vincenzo podcast, and you could <laughs> just kidding. Uh, let's say you have the podcast, and you can now interview three guests, dead or alive, fiction or nonfiction. So anybody of anything, who would they be? Okay, this is interesting. Uh, so one, my number one is definitely Tony Robbins. I absolutely love his work, and I got my life coaching certification through Tony Robbins. Oh, so nice. I guess technically. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're not just life coaches, we're called strategic intervention coaches. Mm. But I find Tony Robbins to be absolutely fascinating and his ability to pinpoint people and so many people in so many ways, he's an inspiration for me to keep growing and learning as much as I possibly can. So definitely him. Number two, I think Socrates, honestly. Oh, Socrates is amazing Whoa. in the sense that he... I've always loved the fact that, you know, his main quote, right? Or, or I, I find this to be one of his main quotes is he said, uh, paraphrase it a little, I don't have the actual one in front of me, but he said, you know, the only thing I know for certain is that I know nothing. <laughs> and it was funny because there's a little story behind that. Actually, there's a little story behind that. When he said that quote, this is the back history. He was actually in front of the Oracle of Delphi and the Oracle of Delphi for anyone who doesn't know is regarded as the highest spiritual leader in all of Greece, speaks to the gods, wise beyond wise, has the gods' knowledge. And she spoke to Socrates in a conversation. It was her, him, and I think maybe a few other people there. And she said, You there, Socrates, he who is so wise, what do you think? What do you what do you think about this? And he said, the only thing I know for certain is that I know nothing at all. Mm. And so I think there's a very powerful mind in someone that could admit that they are a forever learner. And I try my best to embrace that as well, that I still know nothing. I still have so much to learn if I'm ever going to help a million people. And that's why I spend so much money and so much time investing in me. And Socrates, I think would be amazing to talk to about that. And <laughs> how do you truly embrace that mindset? Because I still want to get that even, even more fine tuned. So he would be one for sure. Mm. And the third one, Let's see. The third one, I really don't know. Uh, let's see. Who, who can I pull up here? I think one, one great mind that I, that I really do also admire that is currently alive, <laughs> funny enough, is Les Brown. I, I love Les Brown. I mean, I took his course. He, uh, he was kind enough to choose me to speak on the Power Summit that he hosts. And it was an amazing opportunity but I actually find myself listening to a lot of his videos and he has been one of my biggest motivators. I find, I try to incorporate a lot of humor in my stories and coaching. And I, I think humor opens people up and it's absolutely amazing the way you could touch someone's heart with a laugh. 
When I listen to Les Brown stories, half the time I am cracking up. I am laughing and crying at the same time because he's gone through pain, but he brought so much light to it. And that's the way I try to live and teach a lot of my clients and live my life. And so I would love to just have a conversation with him, hear more of his story in a personal way, and just get that beautiful connection and, and laugh with him and share that. Beautiful stuff, really, truly. I love that you brought up that that factor of, of, of bringing in some comedy with the seriousness and, and how it opens up someone's heart. Because when you're all serious, it could close someone up. They get scared. They feel like you know you're you're, you're teaching things that they don't know, so they feel like they you know they can't accept it. And and when you when you have a little humor, then they could laugh. They could open up, and then that really lets things out. Really beautiful. Um, wow. It was a wonderful conversation. And with this last question, I'd like to really bring it back home. Um, if you had the ability to time travel and you can go back to a younger version of yourself that was maybe a little bit more depressed, that was bullied and hopeless, what would you say to yourself knowing everything you know now? Oh, I love that. <laughs> can I tell you a little something really quick before I answer that? Yeah. I was asked the question before when I was having trouble. So when I got accepted to speak at that Power Voice Summit uh, that I did recently, I had a lot of trouble coming up with my speech. Though I know my story, why was it so hard? And I guess it was because I didn't really know who I was talking to. Mm. And so I had to think about that for a second. And when I asked the question, who are you talking to? After I thought about it, I said, my younger self. And so a lot of the times when I speak now, I think it's more for the fact that I wanted to talk to me when I was a kid. Mm. And I wanted to go and give myself that hope that everything you're going through everything you've been through, it's important for who you're going to become. And I think that I would go and probably talk to my 18-year-old self and tell him, you don't have to create Vincenzo. Just keep going through the motions as who you are. And eventually, it's going to work out for the best. And I mean, that would be really surfacy and not super comforting. But I think the simplest way to sum this up would be that. Just Everything you're going through, there's a greater reason for it. And when you can see the greater reasons, find abundance in your life, find happiness, and not focus on the lack, you could probably bring such a better quality to your life. And so I would tell myself to focus on that. You do have a lot. Although my life wasn't great and I did suffer a lot, that was another view because I actually also had a really great life in a lot of ways. I had a beautiful, you know, beautiful parents. I'm best friends with my brother now despite everything, you know, I have friends, I have amazing friends that I consider family. I have a loving life. And I think I could have had more of that if I had been more focused on it. So I would tell myself, choose abundance, choose happiness, choose love, choose forgiveness, let go of all your hate and anger and pain and just be you. Beautiful. Really beautiful. And I think uh, one thing I want to mention before we close things out is a lot of people, sometimes they say change is impossible. People just stay the same. And I think that, you know, through this conversation, I think many people can realize that change is possible, uh, but it has to be towards that sense of true self. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people are interested in checking out your material, uh, some of your coaching and posts on Instagram. Where can people find uh, maybe a website or uh, what's your social link for people to search? So you can check my website out at www.vincentinfanti.life. And that's my first and last name. And you can find me on Instagram at atypical underscore life underscore coach. Or you could just look up Vincent Infanti. You'll find my name. <laughs> Beautiful.